Hello, and welcome to the What Manners Most podcast. I'm Thomas Farley, Mr. Manners. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's mid-July, which in any other year would mean our country and the world would be in peak vacation mode. And though many Americans are finding ways to grab some beach time or take road trips, there's no question the getaways are looking quite different in the summer of 2020 than they have traditionally. With coronavirus cases rising in 40 out of the 50 United States, many of them at alarming rates, people are thinking long and hard about how, whether, and where to travel. As a journalist, I have an insatiable curiosity for visiting and experiencing new places. Some of my favorite vacation memories include journeying to Antarctica, where up close, I encountered more species of penguins than I realized existed. And my trip to Spain with my sister shortly after we had both graduated from college to meet with my brother and his girlfriend for paella in the coastal city of Valencia, where he was studying abroad. Or my visit to the volcano-ravaged Emerald Isle of the Caribbean, Montserrat, where two weeks after my visit, the airport runway was destroyed during an eruption, closing off airplane access to the devastated island for the next eight years. Adventures of a lifetime and memories made to last just as long. So what memories will you be making this summer? Where can you safely go? And how can you ensure the health and well-being of everyone in your party when you do? For the answer to that, I turn to my friend Pauline Fromer. To say Pauline got the travel bug early would be an understatement. She started traveling with her guidebook writing parents from the age of four months and has not looked back. Her father, Arthur Fromer, had seized on the wanderlust that Americans were experiencing during the jet age with the publication of Europe on $5 a day in 1957. Imagine that, $5 a day. (laughs) The release of that annual guidebook sowed the seeds of an empire that now comprises nearly 100 travel books and the hugely trafficked Fromers.com. For someone who lives, breathes, and sleeps travel and supporting the inquisitive readers around the world who do so also, Pauline says the events of spring and summer 2020 have been jarring in many ways. The last four months have been shocking, like they have been for, I think, all of us. From the travel perspective, things that I never could have imagined happening happened. Travel bans against Americans going to Europe, going to Asia, quarantines from state to state The Department of Justice suing Hawaii because it's asking for a quarantine, which the DOJ is saying is illegal under our Constitution. We've been covering so many wacky stories at Fromer's, but the bottom has fallen out of the travel business, just as it has for restaurants and for theaters and for any type of activity where people gather together and commune. And to me, this communing is the essence of being human. It's been shocking from a business perspective and also from a a personal perspective, because a lot of the things I cherish are now dangerous. And it's hard to adjust to that, even now. The adjustments have included putting the publication of the company's highly popular and ubiquitous guidebooks on temporary hold. In a time when so few are able to travel, particularly abroad, it simply doesn't make sense. Not to mention, the details on hotel and restaurant closings, reopenings, and closings for good are so late-breaking that the advice contained in a tome written months earlier could not possibly promise to be 100% accurate. 
I mean, there are, are estimates that 25% of the hotels in the world will go belly up. The same amount for museums, higher amounts for restaurants. So I didn't want to have books filled with useless, outdated information. I've now changed the deadlines twice <laughs> and books are going to be due from our authors in the fall and early winter. I may have to push it out again, though, uh, because we need as writers to see what's happening in the world before we can write a book about it. On our website, which is the other half of the business, we've been covering the breaking travel news. And that's been pretty fascinating, I must say. We've been uh, covering border closings and protocols for keeping people safe and all of the different ways the travel industry is desperately trying to restart while doing it responsibly. When I think about the cataclysm that hit the travel industry, I wondered how well it has bounced back from other setbacks, such as might have been dealt during the world wars. And yet, as Pauline goes on to point out, the travel industry as we know it is still a relatively modern concept. Although the very wealthy had their ocean liners, for the rest of the population, boarding a ship was not to take a pleasure cruise, and air travel was all but non-existent before World War II. Usually, if you crossed an ocean, you were escaping a plague or escaping a draft or your harvest failed and you have no other option. Usually, it was a disaster if you were traveling. That's why the root of the word travel is travail. It used to mean something terrible was happening and you had to leave. It's only been in the last two to three generations that we've traveled like this. In some senses, this pandemic has put us full circle this summer. We are traveling as much to recover our mental and emotional health as we are to sightsee. So where are people going and how are they getting there, I wondered. By and large, not to Europe, as with few exceptions, it is off limits to American citizens. There are some places in Europe you can go to, but they're not in the EU. You can go to Albania. <laughs> Bizarrely enough, you can go to Croatia, but the rest of Europe is closed tight against us people are trying to go to places they can socially distance and doing so in a way that is pragmatic and practical. Going back to what their great-great-great-grandparents did for their vacations and just driving a hundred miles from home. We're seeing a huge boom in RV rentals. They're going to national parks. They're staying with families in rural areas. According to Airbnb, they have picked up a whole slew of new houses to represent in places people didn't used to go to, places that are far away from tourist sites uh, where people can go and socially distance. All of which calls to mind for me the 1980s classic film National Lampoon's Vacation, where Chevy Chase, as Clark Griswold, piles his family into the station wagon for an ill-fated and disaster-laden trip to a fictitious theme park called Wally World. Once they arrive, they sadly discover the park is closed for two weeks for all things cleaning. anymore. I want to go home. I don't want to go to Wally World. Clark, under the circumstances, I wouldn't mind if we just went home. In retrospect, it seems like a pretty bad idea driving out. It's been one disaster after another. 
Yeah, it's been a real drag, Dad. Maybe we can try it some other time. Wally World's overrated anyway. What do you think? We're 10 hours from the fun park and you want to bail out. Well, I'll tell you something. This is no longer a vacation. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. Pauline herself, who is a Manhattanite like I am, is spending the summer with her family on Nantucket Island. In fact, if you listen closely, you'll hear birds chirping at various points during our conversation. And yet, as that small island attracts its annual slew of visitors, along with the songbirds, it has not been immune from a debate that continues to rage across the country as it pertains to mask wearing. It was very quiet when I first got here. Now there's a huge influx of visitors. My daughter is working at a local grocery store and she's gotten into arguments with people who are refusing to wear their masks and they've had to call the police and get those people out. To me, you have to be wearing a mask everywhere. You have no way of knowing if you're safe. I've actually had two COVID-19 tests. Both were negative, but on the last one, I didn't find out until 10 days after my test because there's such a wait right now. So in the in those 10 days, I could have gotten it again. I have no way of knowing if I'm actually a safe person to be around. And so I, I have to take other people's health as seriously as I take my own and wear a mask everywhere. From Manhattan, you can take a ferry or drive to Nantucket in a bit more than six hours. But the more distant destinations, reachable only by plane unless you have the time and the patience for a longer road trip, the only option may be to travel by air. And yet, that option remains dodgy for anyone concerned with coronavirus transmission rates, particularly as many of the airlines are operating flights at near or full capacity. You're going to see different policies on every single airline, which makes no sense whatsoever. And in different airports, airports are taking their cues from what the mask requirements are in the local community. I've been talking to flight attendants who are saying how difficult it is for them because even on those airlines that require mask usage, people wear the masks onto the planes and then they try and sneak them off. Right now, what they're doing is what they do in European soccer. They're giving out yellow cards on certain airlines. If you take off your mask, you could be banned for life. It's very difficult. If a plane is in flight, they don't want to stop the flight, force someone to wear a mask. What are they going to do? Tackle them and put the mask on their mouths? It's very difficult. So the airlines have been giving out yellow cards saying, some airlines have, saying that you can no longer fly this airline after this flight. And there have been cases where people have been arrested coming off the flight because an airline is a private entity. And when you buy the ticket, you say you will uh, subscribe to their contract of carriage, which often includes mask usage. Just a couple of weeks before the pandemic began, I attended a birthday party at the mid-century modern Aeroserenin flight terminal built for Transworld Airlines at JFK Airport back in 1962.
Although the magnificent structure served as a gateway for TWA flights for the next 40 years, it had remained in a state of serious neglect following the airline's ceasing of operations and permanent closure of the terminal in 2002. Last year, the building was given a new lease on life as the TWA Hotel, resplendent once again in all of its mid-century glory and visited by fans of the Mad Men era, travelers like me who never knew but still long for a time when air travel was luxurious, as promoted in this vintage ad for the Pan Am Jet Clipper. Welcome aboard the spacious cabin, attractively decorated, air-conditioned but draft-free. Near sonic speed, but inside one of the most stunning discoveries. There is no feeling of movement at all, no vibration, hardly any sound. A new concept in air transportation. The travail has been taken out of travel. It would be no exaggeration to say that many of the airlines, struggling for survival as they are, have been putting the travail back into travel. And with no uniform guidelines from the federal government, they are free to do so as they themselves determine. There's a big difference airline to airline in terms of what they're doing. United has the worst record for giving people their money back when flights are canceled, even though they're supposed to by law and by their own contracts of carriage. They also have not been keeping the middle seat empty. American Airlines has not changed its boarding process and is selling the middle seat. Delta, on the other hand, has promised that it will keep the middle seats open through the end of September and has changed its boarding process and seems to have relatively safe protocols in place. JetBlue also gets kudos. Alaska Airlines seems to be doing a good job. At one point, Frontier tried to charge more. Uh, to have social distancing and that they got so much pushback on social media that they dropped that. This new wild west of air travel could be corrected with federal intervention and Pauline believes the moment for that is now. We need federal oversight. It's shocking that at a time when a restaurant is not allowed to operate at full capacity pretty much anywhere in the United States right now, that airlines are doing so. That, that's just crazy. That's madness. Not only does this create anxiety for U.S. travelers, but it's among the factors that other countries and the European Union continue to look at as they weigh allowing Americans to cross their shores. It's also seriously diminishing the desire of foreign travelers to travel to the U.S. The European Union is not only looking at our rates of infection, they are looking at our national policies to decide whether or not they will let America in. America has no national policies. And every other type of disaster, whether it be an earthquake, a hurricane, the federal government has stepped in. There's been no talk of state rights. We're in a disaster that's hitting the entire country. We need the federal government to step in. If they don't, and it doesn't look like they will be, we're going to be left behind. The rest of the world will get back to normal, and the United States will not. Though it's easy to look at travel as a non-essential category, a quote-unquote nice-to-have compared to other aspects of our lives, the economic impact the tourism industry has been feeling this year has broad implications for all of us. If travel doesn't come back, our economy doesn't come back. 
as it stands right now. And I'm, I'm, I am defining travel widely. I'm defining that as meaning trains, planes, airports, restaurants that tourists go to, museums, theaters, because they take such a large percentage of the money they make from travelers that without the travel industry, a lot of other industries are sunk. Speaking of sinking or staying afloat, I wondered what was happening in the cruise line industry, one of the earliest and hardest hit by the economic shutdowns. Norwegian and Royal Caribbean, bitter rivals, are joining together to work with a group of of blue ribbon scientists to try and come up with protocols that will keep people safe. And the European Union just released their protocols for how to keep people safe on cruises. And they're fascinating. They're thinking of asking passengers to group by age so that they will eat with people their own age. They'll do activities with people their own age. They've been doing this on the beaches of Spain too, separating people by age. And because I guess they think that younger people not only are more careless, but also get less sick. They're hoping that by grouping them together away from the people who really could be badly impacted, that this could be one of the ways to keep people safe. Back on land, hotels big and small are scrambling to attract lodgers and to persuade them that their doors are open and sparkling clean. All of the major chains have put out press releases with videos in them showing how rooms are being sanitized. That has been the main thing we're seeing, and mostly it's with this acidic fog, which gets into every crevice and is supposedly safe. So there's a lot of fog videos out there, and they're canceling a lot of things that were beloved by guests. There are no more buffet breakfasts. That won't be included. Usually the gym will be closed. The spa will be closed. So my advice to travelers is when you stay in a hotel, you're really, really just going to be staying in a room. And in the last decade, rooms have gotten smaller and smaller uh, so they can pack more rooms into a hotel. And they've kind of made up for it by making the lobbies more glamorous and more fun to hang out in. But nobody's going to be able to hang out in lobbies right now. So make sure that the room is okay. Apart from the economic costs of the travel world taking such a huge hit, Pauline says there are repercussions for how we interact with our fellow human beings as well. And that fact concerns her perhaps most of all. When we get out there and meet people, we realize we have far more in common with them than we have differences. And we realize that maybe our governments are at odds, but we as people never are. And we realize that people who seem so different from us are welcoming and have long, often centuries-old traditions of hospitality. And we don't want to attack them. I mean, this, this is... This may be too idealistic, but as I was saying earlier, we didn't have a global travel industry until after World War II. We haven't had a global war in that time either. Maybe it's because people got out there and and got to know the rest of the world and got to realize we are never enemies. So if all the talk about fogging hotel rooms and staying in separate age groups on beaches 
getting a yellow card for taking off a mask on a stuffy, crowded airplane, or traveling to a city where the museums are closed to in-person visits is starting to make summer 2020 sound a whole lot less enticing for vacation. This could be the year you embrace your inner armchair traveler and take a virtual tour somewhere, including ones being offered by Airbnb called Airbnb Experiences. There's one where you meet the stray dogs of Chernobyl with somebody who is feeding them, or you take a session in meditation with a Buddhist monk in Japan, or you learn how to make mozzarella from a Palermo native. Just really fun and interesting things you can do online. These virtual tours can bring us to places we've never been, and even places where we have been and have never experienced them in certain ways. So I did a virtual tour of the catacombs of Paris that took me into places I never could have gone as a tourist with a really great guide. And I've been to the catacombs of Paris. I learned so much more with her than, than I would have on my own. The concept of a virtual vacation gives the term staycation a whole new meaning. Will we be exploring the world live from our living rooms for the foreseeable future? And is this a trend that will be here to stay even after a vaccine for COVID-19 is discovered? I think it all has to do with how we get back to work. Because I know that even though these options are great, if you're in front of a computer all day for your work, you're probably not going to want to do this. So I think if we go back to a regular work place, then these things will last longer. If not, I think they have a short shelf life. We'll see. I don't know. However we do return to these destinations, whether far-flung or closer to home, Pauline hopes they will be as pristine and unpolluted as possible. Perhaps one of the few silver linings for the travel industry during this significant pullback in global tourism. With this pause, for the first time in years, people were able to stand in a city in I think it was China, and see the mountain that was right outside the city that they hadn't been able to see in decades because of all the pollution. You were able to see down into the waters of the canals of Venice. A lot of things started to regenerate, and a lot of that had to do with the lack of travel. And so when we go back, we, we need to bring back travel, but we have to do it in a green way. Knowing she has been to and thoroughly experienced more destinations than most anyone in my circle, I asked Pauline where she hoped to travel as soon as it was 100% safe to do so, and which destinations she hopes to be able to recommend as places for others to visit. I don't want to go any place I've been before, because I think it's going to be heartbreaking seeing the things that are closed. I've been thinking I'd love to go to Berlin and maybe some other parts of Germany that I haven't been to because I can experience them anew without preconceptions of what has been lost. I went to Tanzania in December and it was such an exciting time to be there, not only because it's an incredible safari destination, but because for the first time since they became a free country, they had a non-corrupt government. It, it just was a country that seemed on the on the upswing, and I, I really wanted to support them. But that's pretty exotic of a destination. Portugal also, its government, I mean, Portugal had one of the worst dictatorships in the world until, what, I think it was the early 70s. 
And that left them in the dust in terms of development, and they're just catching up. And it's a wonderful place to visit, less expensive than other places in Western Europe. So that's a place I I would highly recommend. And if life and work commitments this summer are too great for any of you listening, Pauline has one final piece of advice for those in need of a break that may be the easiest and least expected. Pick up a guidebook. Even if it's your own hometown, I promise you will find things in it you didn't know existed. You'll read pithy, fascinating text about the local culture, the history, the cuisine. There's a lot to do with travel literature, even if you're not traveling right now. And I I promise you, the lens through which we're we're looking at the world on Fromers.com is pretty fascinating. There's really interesting things happening in the world of travel that shine a light on other parts of our our planet, even if you're not traveling. Wherever you go this summer, whether it's your living room sofa, the open road, a secluded lakeside cabin, or somewhere that requires air travel, I hope you soak up every bit of R&R you deserve in a way that keeps you and those around you safe, and that you use this time to think about the importance of travel, of experiencing new things, and to ponder your next big trip. As singer John Bon Jovi says, map out your future, but do it in pencil. The road ahead is as long as you make it. Make it worth the trip. Be sure to follow Pauline and Fromers on Twitter and Instagram. Check out her podcast and subscribe to her newsletter, information which is in the show notes for this podcast, all of which I know you will enjoy. And I'll see you next time on the podcast where we too explore, discover, and distill what manners most.